Good afternoon, Spark. Oh my goodness, it's so good to see all of you. Thank you so much for joining in for today's service. Um, we're just so thrilled and delighted. We love and appreciate all of you. Thank you so much for being our community. Thank you to everybody um, who continually contributes to the making of this service. Um, we appreciate all your contributions. We're con going to continue to work uh, to get more of you involved because we just love to see your faces. Our church is a community. It really, really is. Um, and so we're looking forward to um, the next couple of weeks that are coming up. We're obviously going to be in this shelter in place for quite some time now. And we hope that all of what we've done has been uh, inspiration, a help and encouragement to all of you. Most of all, we hope that it's helped you feel connected to Spark and the larger community. And then we also hope that it's challenged you maybe even to think and consider how to live in this particular time of shelter in place and the pandemic and how to live the way of Jesus in and through all of this. So with that said, we are in the middle of a series on the book, or rather the letter to the Ephesians. And Pastor Danielle has given us some introductions. I believe her first talk was on heaven and earth coming together, which is the fundamental essence of what the entire Jesus movement is. It's not heaven up there and hell down there and earth somehow in the middle, um, but the entire vision, the, the entire aim is that heaven and earth would come together, that the very essence of what the Jesus movement is trying to do is not separate things, but bring them together to make them right. So that justice and mercy and compassion and love can be once again reintegrated with all of our relationships, all of our systems, all of the ways in which we live life and do commerce and economy and all that stuff. Um, and then of course, last week we talked about the resurrection. And we shared in the commemoration of the most important event in history, the most significant pillar in the Christian faith, and of course, a core value of spark, which is that dead people can rise again, that life rises up out of the dead, to really fundamentally, truly believe that and to pursue that as a core value of our identity, which is exactly where I feel like Paul is going in this passage in chapter two. Um, dead people can live again. And so let's jump into chapter two of Ephesians. And I hope that this is, uh, once again inspires and challenges you as well. Uh, Ephesians chapter two, starting in verse one. You were dead through the trespasses and sins in which you once lived, following the course of this world, following the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work among those who are disobedient. But God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God not the result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. And I love that last phrase right there, good works, because that's going to be next week's message. But in this setup uh, that Paul is doing, he's pulling in a theme of life and death. Now, if you've been with us for some time, you know that this theme of life and death is a fundamental, a fundamental principle and a fundamental metaphor for how we speak about life, life and death. Uh, if you remember in the Genesis story, 
the commandment and the commission to Adam and Eve in the garden is that there's this tree that you're not supposed to eat from, this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, or the tree of the knowledge of good and bad. And the scripture writer says that on the day that you eat of it, death shall you die. Death shall you die. There's like this double imperative on the death. And what happens after they eat the fruit is that they're kicked out of the garden. Now, a lot of people ask the question, well, what was going on there? They didn't actually physically or biologically die. Well, correct. Because ever since the beginning of our story, exile, to be away from God, to not follow in that way of life means to be dead. That's the ultimate principle and metaphor. That's the foundation for how our scripture writers are talking about why do you follow in this way? Why is it necessary to live a particular kind of life in this way? Because the way in which they saw it, the way in which they talked about it, the way in which they um, spoke about it is to say that it was, it was death. And then, of course, at the very end of Deuteronomy, it pulls in the theme, kind of uh, bookending the theme from the Genesis all the way to the Deuteronomy portion. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you, and here's the key phrase, life and death. Blessings and curses. Choose life so that you and your descendants may live. And I should have highlighted choose life right there because that's the key phrase. When you break a commandment, this goes back to a message I shared a while ago called Shema or Die. Listen here or what ultimately is the end is death. When you disobey, it's not that you've broken a bad rule and now bad things are going to happen to you. The scripture writers, our tradition talks about it. No, you've killed something. Um, when you commit adultery, that fidelity and that covenant and that relationship that you had is dead, is now dead. You've killed it. When you lie and betray somebody, trust and intimacy is now dead. When you covet, when you desire what somebody else has, it's not just that you're doing a bad thing. It's that contentment and peace and shalom and wholeness is now dead. I mean, that's these are the consequences that our scripture writers talk about. And so from Genesis all the way through Deuteronomy, there's this theme of life and death. And while we, I think it's absolutely appropriate to think about life and death in biological terms, whether or not we're breathing. And we want to love the Lord our God with all of our heart and all of our soul, which is why Pastor Mark does the breathing each time, because that's what it means to be alive. But we are also thinking about life and death in metaphorical terms. And what I think Paul is doing here is, is this really significant twist that I think is really significant for how we think about our life and how we think about morals and ethics, how we think about the way we ought to live and the way that should govern our systems and our principles and our relationships. Let's remember what the backdrop is. We have the Roman Empire where the emperors are deified, incarnate, exemplars of the, uh, of, of the gods. And so we have Zeus that's printed on the coins. We have the deification of the Roman Empire, of the Roman emperors. And they are essentially the, the hand and the power of all of the principles of the air, which is actually what Paul is referring to. All, all of that is incarnate in the empire and, and in the emperor. And so to submit yourself to the empire is what it means to be alive. And by the way, what happens if you don't submit? Or if you try to rise up against this particular empire, it's death for you. And then that's what the crucifixion is all about. Subverting the empire means death to you. 
That's absolutely one of those themes. Uh, let's also remember Hellenism, which is this cultural force that you cannot overstate how powerful and how effective Alexander the Great was at spreading this way of thinking, philosophy and commerce and power uh, and education and sports and religion. All of that was influenced by a Greek way of thinking, which is why even to this particular day, we have the word zoology from the word zoe, which means life. And we have, apparently have a Greek yogurt because, you know, um, it's fit for the gods. So if you really want a yogurt that's going to give you life, you're going to, you know, you're going to buy Zoe um, Greek yogurt. Fundamentally, uh, there are these principles and these teachings throughout this culture that would suggest that the ownership of power, the pursuit of pleasure, and the attainment of wisdom, this is what is ultimately going to give you life. This is what it means to be alive. And how dare we ever pursue anything else, because this, this is what it means to truly be alive. And then something struck me. Last week, when we were going through the scripture reading, as you all were sharing, this particular portion of the story really stuck out to me, not only because of how you read the story, which is absolutely beautiful and wonderful, but because of what the story was actually suggesting. So here's you all reading that scripture passage again. For fear of him, the guards shook and became like dead men. For fear of him, the guards shook and became like dead men. How do you do that? And became like dead men. I love, I love what Regina's doing there. I've been reading that story for a long time and I never think, I don't ever think I saw what these writers were doing. This isn't just descriptive. For fear, trembling, they were like dead men. I mean, that's just a nice poetic way of saying that they were, yeah, they, they, they looked that way. That's how afraid they were. But there's also this other twist that I think is happening. The guards who represent the Roman Empire, who are supposed to be the exemplars of what it means to be alive, are actually dead. And the person that they are crucifying, killing, wanting to be dead, is actually going to come alive. And we actually see this in the Matthew story just one chapter earlier in chapter 27, then Jesus cried again with a loud voice, breathed his last. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. That's a brilliant, oh my goodness, that's a brilliant phrase. The earth shook and the rocks split. And then it says this, the tombs also were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. In other words, the people that were dead were actually alive and the people that were alive were actually dead. This to me is a continuation, this theme is a continuation of the upside down and the backward way in which our gospel writers, our Jesus story, the way in which God speaks about life and reality, it's a continuation of this particular theme. Because we've seen this actually in other passages. There's a story in Mark chapter 8 where um, Jesus is teaching, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. They think, is it because we have no bread? And of course, he's talking about sin. He's not talking about bread. And the disciples are just absolutely dense. Face palm. Come on. Are you not getting it still? And then he quotes most likely a passage from the prophets. He says, do you have eyes and fail to see? Do you have ears and fail to hear? I can see and not see. I can hear and actually not hear. I mean, Isaiah talks about this uh, in reference to the, and Jesus references that when he's talking about the parables. It is possible that you can see 
and still be blind. It is possible that you can hear and still be deaf. And then it is possible to be living, but actually be dead. We see this pattern of speaking over and over and over again. This seems to be thematic with the way in which the Jesus story is being told. We think we see, but the reality is we're blind. We think we hear, but the reality is we're deaf. We think we're alive, but the reality is that we're actually dead. And I think Paul is pulling these themes and this way of speaking into the Ephesian story, into the Ephesian letter. But if that is true, here's the good news. If it's possible to be living and still be dead, the good news is this. It is also possible to be dead and actually still be alive. Or it is possible to be dead and be raised once again to life. And I want you to think very, very carefully about these two phrases. It is possible, and we've talked about this, and maybe you've heard teachings about this. It is possible to be alive, to have everything that you want in this world, to be pursuing the absolute best of what this world can offer and still be dead inside because you don't have the fundamental essence of what it means to be human and created in the image of God. And at the same time, you could physically, biologically be dead, but actually still be alive because something about who you are and how you lived Something about you continues on. When I was thinking about this, I was thinking about people like Fred Rogers, um, an amazing human being who is biologically and physically passed on. He is no longer with us. But what he does and his life, and his ministry is carried on. And many of us who are parents and family members, and maybe those of us who even don't have children, benefit even still to this day by his legacy. And, of course, Daniel Tiger's neighborhood. Uh, of course, I think about the civil rights movement and people like Rosa Parks and Martin Luther King Jr. and others. There's a whole host, a whole community of people that rose up against the injustices of racism and racial disparity, spoke mightily and heavily, and honestly, cost them their lives, right? But even though they are dead, even though they have passed on who they are, what they stand for, their life is actually still with us. I think of uh, Dr. Li Wenliang, who was that doctor who first spoke out, one of the first people to speak out against this virus that we are now fighting and, and succumbing to. And even though he has unfortunately um, succumbed to the disease and is no longer with us, there is a commemoration to who he is and who he was and, and the spirit and the life um, I think of Dr. Wangari Maathi, uh, this amazing uh, African woman, first African woman to win the Nobel Peace Prize, founder of the Green Belt Movement, who has planted millions of trees, pursuit of democracy, uh, of the pursuit of human rights, and the pursuit of environmental consciousness in Kenya, and has won amazing awards. She has since passed on, died of cancer, but the Green Belt Movement is still alive and active and moving and pursuing democracy and human rights and environmental care and consciousness, transforming the world. It is possible to be dead and still be alive. And we see this woven deep within our story. John chapter 11, this resurrection story that we've told about Lazarus that we've just celebrated and commemorated. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, 
even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And I have read that passage going, what in the world are you talking about? Because everybody back then has died. And, you know, some people and scholars like to discuss this and say, well, they were expecting the coming of the kingdom, which means that never dying is going to mean that they're all going to be raised up when the, the end of the world, end of the uh, space-time continuum ha happens and Jesus returns and they were expecting that. And so that's why they wrote this. And I'm starting to rethink all of this and considering when you follow in the way, let me back up. When you don't follow in the way, there may happen to seem like life, but we are actually dead inside not living in accordance with the full movement of creation, of love, of relationship, fidelity, um, compassion, mercy, and justice. And if we're not pursuing those things, it's very possible for us to be alive, but to be dead. But if we are to pursue those things, and that word believe in me, that phraseology means to trust and follow through in the way of Jesus even though we were to die, yet shall we live. And if we do trust, we will never die because we have been united with the kind of life that is in Christ, not the kind of life that is just simply tied to this biological, physical world. I think this is an amazing way to consider how we move forward in this world to attribute ourselves to something that is far bigger than this flesh and bones, far bigger than the reality that one day I will die. But yet, in Christ, yet shall we live. When um, thinking through all of this, I couldn't help but think of this movie, Dead Man Walking, not only because of the title, but because of the story. And I was going to show some, some clips, but to be honest with you is, a little bit too emotional. It's an amazing, powerful movie about a man convicted on death row um, and a, a Catholic nun who walks with him in his journey. And towards the end of the movie, where he hasn't admitted to his crimes, and uh, Sister Helen Prejean is working tirelessly to get him to see what he has done, to own it. And that's the only way to have peace. He, he says this, it figures that I'd have to die in order to find love. It is possible to be alive and not have life. And it is possible to face death and to have love. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus speaks about this. If anyone wants to be, if anyone, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake will find it. In other words, my friends, we're flipping the script. Just like being blind, just like being able to see but still being blind, being able to hear but still being deaf. And so it is true that we are able to be alive and still be dead. And this is exactly what Paul is saying. You were dead. By participating in the trespasses and sins, the violation of the covenant the dismissal of justice and compassion, the forget just the whimsical, for, uh, the whimsy and the, the nonchalant apathy towards anything of importance, following the course of this world, the ruler of the power of the air, 
the spirit of those who are alive, uh, spirit that is now at work among those who are disobedient, all of that stuff, all of those categories, that all of that leads to death. You were dead in all of those things. But, and I love those buts, God who is rich in mercy out of great love made us alive. Even though we were dead, we were made alive. And that, my friends, is what we celebrate. That, my friends, is what this good news is about. Yeah, I remember a time in my life where I lived that way, without a care, without any attention, uh, without any sense of identity, without any uh, sense of even self-love, my deep insecurities, a complete apathy towards the people around me. Alive, but very much dead. But through my spiritual journey, and I'm sure through many of yours, you have found a whole new kind of life. In fact, this is what it means when we say being born again. Unfortunately, that phrase has been distilled down to just simply meaning a conversion experience, going from non-believing to believing. But in this context, to be born again means to come into, yeah, a whole new kind of life. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. We see this theme over and over and over again. Dead people can live again. Dead people can live again. And even if we do die, our lives still continue on. Paul closes this particular section of his letter by saying, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your undoing, it is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. Which sets us up for next week's message on what does it mean to have these works? And what does it mean to have this grace? To recognize that it was not of ourselves. We didn't do it. This was a gift. A gift of life. So thank God for that gift. And so if we recognize what that gift is, again, the writer Paul is setting up not just sections, but a whole argument through this letter. If the life that we have really is a gift, and it's not the result of anything that we have done so that we don't boast, then man, how much more do we respond to that gift by living out this love, by living out this justice, by living out this compassion, by living out this shalom in this world? And especially during this time, how much more do we need that? So my friends, wherever you might happen to be, it is very possible that at one particular point in your life, you were dead. Oh, you were, you were alive. You were celebrating birthdays. You were getting your driver's license. You were pursuing your career, but you were dead. And somewhere along the life, some, somewhere along the line, by the grace and the power and the spirit of God, he gave you a gift. And that gift was a whole new kind of life, a kind of life that was made alive in him, with him, for him. That is what we celebrate, and that is what we commemorate. And that is what we understand about this movement and about this Jesus way. That is what we understand about this as we move forward into this world. We set that as our foundation. And of course, every time we come to celebrate communion, we are commemorating and celebrating exactly that, the death of Jesus, which made us alive. So wherever you might happen to be, I encourage you to grab your elements as we recite these words of institution and commemorate and celebrate once again the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, which in this particular message today means once again that God has given us a gift of life.
and let us therefore live it to its full. For in the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took the bread, blessed and broke it, giving it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, after supper, he took the cup, gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. My friends, every single one of you are welcome to this table. Every single one of you, wherever you are, wherever you happen to be spiritually, wherever you happen to be on your journey, you are welcome at this table. You are invited to partake and to participate in this new life in Jesus.